So, just for the benefit of the new people, over the last few months we've been exploring a particular set of the Buddha's teachings. It's a, a list, a series known as the Ten Parami. And these Parami are ten very beneficial qualities of our hearts and minds. And they qualities that we can cultivate in daily life as a support for our meditation practice. And they are also a support for living more skillfully in the world, living with more ease and contentment and freedom. So just to say, traditionally, the term parami is usually translated as perfection. So they're qualities that can be perfected. But for some of us, this idea of perfection can be off-putting. And it can really easily strengthen a very common tendency to approach the whole of our meditation practice as yet another self-improvement project. So we can get caught in trying to do more of this and be more like that and not have this and get more of that. If we have that underlying assumption, then when we hear this list of another 10 qualities that we're supposed to perfect, it can become just another way that we measure ourselves and find ourselves lacking in some way. So rather than thinking of the most perfections, I think of the most qualities that can be polished. Because actually when you hear the list in a moment, you'll recognize that we all already have most of them, maybe even all of them, to some degree. And when we turn our attention to these qualities acknowledge them, just that attention and acknowledgement <coughs> strengthens them. And we, so that's why I like the word polishing, because just like we polish wood or we polish stone, it brings out the natural beauty, the natural qualities of the heart. So just for context, before I focus on one in particular, these are the ten. I'll list them, and as you hear them, you might just notice some of them, there might be an instant sense of, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that feels true. There is some of that here. Others might be, huh, what? Or, <laughs> Don't like the sound of that one. But that's useful information just to notice. Okay, so here are the ten. First one is generosity. Then ethical integrity, the commitment to non-harming. Then renunciation or relinquishment. Wisdom. Energy. Patience. Truthfulness. Resolve and determination. Kindness. And equanimity. So those are ten, and we've just been working through them and around them. And last time I was here, I spoke about patience. So tonight I'd like to move on to the next one on the list, which is truthfulness. And the Pali word is satcha. And satcha means real or true. So the parami of truthfulness is about cultivating the intention not only to speak what's true, but also to live in alignment with the truth. So on one level, this might seem quite simple and obvious. 
the value of truthfulness. I think probably every society in the world values truthfulness and denounces lying and dishonesty. But in the Buddhist context, truthfulness also includes our capacity to know what's true on deeper and deeper levels. And this is where it's a little less straightforward because many of the Buddha's understandings, they actually challenge some of our most cherished delusions about who we are and how the world is. So there's a famous verse in the Bible that says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And in the Buddha's understanding too, there's a very clear connection between truth and freedom. And we see that in his core teaching on the Four Noble Truths. These Four Noble Truths are noble because they free the heart and mind. However, there's also a contemporary twist on that Bible verse. It says, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. (laughs) And maybe you've had a sense of that in your own practice. And a few weeks ago, I spoke about how the Dharma, these teachings, sometimes they act as consolation. They give us relief, consolation in the face of suffering. But they also act as confrontation. They can be quite confronting at times. They challenge us. They challenge us to let go of our clinging and to wake up out of delusion. And in fact, the term Buddha is not a name. It's actually a title, and it means the one who is awake. So in the discourses, someone asks the Buddha, well, the Buddha, who are you? Are you some kind of god? Are you some kind of angel? Are you a human being? And the Buddha simply said, I'm awake. I'm awake. So this parami of truthfulness has a close relationship with wisdom, which, as you know, is yet another of these ten parami. So in this whole exploration, I've been referring to Ajahn Suchito's book, Parami, The Way to Cross Life's Floods. And this is how he describes these different dimensions of truthfulness. He says, this parami highlights the capacity to be truthful, a quality that can be understood in two ways. Most obviously, there's truthfulness in terms of intention and behavior the determination to refrain from telling lies or reporting rumors and gossip. This is truthfulness as an aspect of morality. But truthfulness also refers to perception, to the ability to see or know things in an undistorted way. So tonight I'd like to at least touch into both of these different levels of truth starting with what Ajahn Suchito calls the morality aspect of it. In other words, being honest with our speech, not lying, not deceiving people, and also being honest with our actions, behaving with integrity, living in alignment with the truth. And both of these stem from motivations in the mind. If we want to live in alignment with the truth, first we have to know what the truth is. And that's not always as simple as it might sound. I'm guessing all of you can probably think of some examples in your own life 
maybe where you didn't actually want to know the truth. The accepting the truth of a situation or a person or even ourselves was in some ways confronting, was a struggle. And maybe at the end I'll invite you to share some examples of this. So it's not always easy to accept the truth. I think of things like climate change. That's a pretty fundamental truth that most of us, maybe all of us, live in denial of to some extent. So we can say, oh, you know, face the truth. But there are huge areas of our lives, at least on a societal level and on an individual level, where it's like, yeah, 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 I'll come back to that later, or it can't be that bad, or all the different ways we rationalize, deny, avoid, and so on. However, at those times when we are able to come to terms with the truth, I don't know about for you, but in my own experience, sometimes I find it frees up all kinds of energy that I hadn't even realized. It actually takes energy to live in denial. <laughs> On a subconscious level, it takes maybe more energy than we realize to keep, la, 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 I'm not going to see that, I'm not going to go there, that's not true. And when we're able to let go of that, all of that energy that was caught up in resistance and denial becomes available for living more skillfully. So here's what Gil Fransdell says about the importance of truthfulness on this path. He says, Being honest with oneself is a prerequisite to personal growth and a genuine liberation of the heart. This is so important that we can safely say, as an absolute truth in Buddhist practice, that deceiving ourselves is never acceptable. Serious practitioners strive to be impeccably honest with themselves. Truth brings inner peace by overcoming the conflicts and the turmoil that we carry within our own minds. And truth can bring an inner security that frees us from neurotically defending or apologizing or hating ourselves or hiding ourselves from ourselves. So being honest with oneself is a prerequisite on this path. And... It's important to keep in mind that all of these parami are training. They're things that we can practice and explore and develop slowly over time. So there's, if you're feeling a little daunted, just remember this is a gradual training. And it starts with apparently the simplest aspect of truthfulness as a parami, which is a commitment to speaking the truth. So as I think most of you know, this is also one of the five ethical training precepts, whereas it's expressed as a commitment to not lying and to refraining from harsh speech. So this is the most basic commitment we make, to not tell lies, to not speak harshly. And then as we bring more and more awareness to this as a parami, we might start to notice some of the more subtle types of unhelpful speech, things like gossip or cynicism or exaggeration or self-aggrandizement and so on. 
And then as we get more refined at this, as one of the suttas says, we are encouraged to speak words that are soothing to the ear, affectionate, polite, appealing and pleasing, words worth treasuring and connected with a goal of freedom. So those are some direct words from the sutta. And when I first read them, I felt this almost mm, sadness because they sounded so old-fashioned. Like, it's so different from our society today. What's considered acceptable communication these days, the standards are so low and so much of communication that's out there is really toxic. And it was hard even to imagine what it would be like to live in a society where people spoke in ways that are soothing to the ear and affectionate and polite and so on. So the Buddha understood the power of speech to harm or to heal. And he gave many, many different teachings on how to practice what's wise speech. And one of these suttas I shared with you, I think, before, where he said, in terms of considering whether something is appropriate speech or not, he said, a statement endowed with five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people. Which five factors? It's spoken at the right time. It's spoken in truth. It's spoken affectionately. It's spoken beneficially. It's spoken with a mind of good will. So there are those five factors, yes? I think that's important. Which one? All of them. All of them work together. Yeah, so it's not just about the truth. And I, th- I like to highlight that because in certain places where I teach, factual truthfulness is seen as the be-all and end-all. And we, we, this is inviting us instead to consider not only if it's factually true, but what's the impact? Is it going to be beneficial or not? What's our motivation? Is it coming from goodwill or not? So this is a much more nuanced understanding of what is appropriate speech. And it's common in mainstream society, especially in some of the places that I teach, where there's almost a a clinging to, if it's true, I have a right to say it. And I hear people saying, well, I'm just speaking my truth, or I have a right to speak my truth. But the Buddha's understanding is we need to really be aware of our motivations and the impact on others. So I read an interesting example of this a few years ago, and it was shared by a Western monk who was living in Thich Nhat Hanh's Sangha. And this monk described how he was asked to work on a community event together with another monk. But the other monk kept not doing what he was supposed to have done, And the monk who was telling the story got really frustrated with him. And at a community meeting, this monk stood up and started reporting all the ways that the other monk hadn't done what he said he was going to do. But he didn't get very far before Thich Nhat Hanh apparently told him to sit down and be quiet. And this Western monk said, I'm just telling the truth. And Thich Nhat Hanh said, if it's not spoken with kindness, it's not truth. 
That's a very different understanding of what is truth from what we might conventionally be used to. Now, having said all that, I just want to highlight there's a potential danger when we hear all of these teachings about right speech being kind and pleasing and so on. We can get, if, if we get too simplistic or too idealistic about these guidelines, we can use them to rationalize what for many of us is an instinctive conflict avoidance. And we can silence ourselves out of inadvertently and end up inadvertently condoning or prolonging harmful situations. So I say this because a few years ago I had an experience like this when I was living in a Dharma community. I was living in a place overseas for about three months. And when I first arrived, it seemed like everyone was getting on pretty well. Is that Obi? <laughs> Can he come in? Or Yeah. That's all right. We'll let him come in for a minute. <laughs> it's going to... Okay. So, well, yeah, we'll let him do a little tour. That's all right. Might be wrong timing. (laughs) (laughs) Is it timely? Is it truthful? That's right. Okay. So I was just sharing about an experience I had in a community overseas. And when I first arrived, it was a Buddhist community. It seemed like everyone was getting on well. But after a while, I started to have a sense that... "Mm, there was some kind of subtle tensions that weren't really being named, and I just felt uh, something else is going on. And eventually, whatever that was really came to a head in this pretty big eruption of painful stuff. And so there was a whole process we had to go through to try and understand what had happened. And one of the things I was surprised when we had all of these meetings was how many people had actually been aware that there was actual bullying going on in that setting, but nobody was naming it, and they said they weren't speaking it because it would have been wrong speech. But actually, the silencing that they did to themselves ended up prolonging that bullying for quite a few months. But each person kind of withdrew, silenced themselves, out of fear of speaking wrongly, and then that allowed the whole situation to perpetuate. And so that situation happened quite a few years ago, and over since that time I've really started to appreciate there's a lot more nuance in the Buddha's teachings. It's not all about nice, kind, saying nice, kind, gentle things all the time which is somehow sometimes how people misunderstand it. So I think I shared with you a while back when we were talking about speech, there's an interesting article by a professor of philosophy and religion at Georgetown University. Her name is Sally King. And this article is called, Right Speech is Not Always Gentle, The Buddha's Authorization of Sharp Criticism. So this is an aspect of his teaching that doesn't always get the same amount of uh, airtime, you could say. And from her research, she discovered there are 
actually several suttas where the Buddha said you actually have an ethical duty to speak out, to call attention to harm that's being done. And even if that calling out is not going to be well received by the other person. So here's one example that she shares from the suttas. It says, the one I consider the most excellent and sublime is the one who speaks dispraise of someone who deserves dispraise. And the dispraise is accurate, truthful, and timely. And one who also speaks praise of someone who deserves praise. And the praise is accurate, truthful, and timely. So both ways, speaking what's true. And the Buddha spoke out against contemporaries of his who were spreading teachings that he saw as being harmful and misguided. So I find it very interesting that alongside kind speech, there is this almost moral duty to speak out in the face of harmful behavior. And for me, it was revelatory to hear that the Buddha himself sometimes spoke in ways that were pretty direct or even harsh if the situation called for it. And I found it shocking because of my own conflict avoidance and the assumption that if I was a good Buddhist, in quotation marks, I would be keeping the peace at any, any cost. And I don't think those patterns are unique to me. There's a lot of family conditioning, societal conditioning, personality. So part of this exploration of truthfulness requires us to investigate some of those deeper patterns that we might have, our individual biases and our cultural conditioning, to find a more embodied experience of the truth that's not just an intellectual understanding. And as we do this, we start to have some of those deeper insights into the truth of how things are. And this is where mindfulness comes in. So mindfulness supports clear seeing, the kind of transformative insights that do open us to deeper ease and freedom. Hello, Obi. <laughs> we'll just include him in the whole talk. He is. He's pretty relaxed. Yes, he's showing a. Maybe he's showing agreement. So I'll just close with a quote from Gil Fronstel about the connection between mindfulness and truth. He says, The need for personal honesty is the reason that Buddhist practice depends on mindfulness. Mindfulness is sometimes defined as a practice of being honest about what is happening in the present moment. The awesome freedom and profound peace towards which the Buddhist path moves us has nothing to do with how much we know or who we know or how rich or smart or beautiful we are or who admires us or even loves us. Instead, this path has everything to do with telling ourselves the truth and in doing so, becoming a true person. Through mindfulness, we discover a truth that is deeper than beliefs. These truths will transform our character, our deepest sense of being. 
what we say and do comes to be in harmony with who we are. If we don't become someone who is true, we have no peace or freedom. When our life is firmly based on truth, peace, peace is not something we have, it is who we are. So I think I'll close it there so that we have plenty of time just to hear from any of you how you have been exploring this parami of truthfulness in your own life. So thanks for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.